is right. So let's have a word of prayer. Let's move uh, quickly into our text this morning. We'll be in Psalm 63. My soul thirsts for you. It seems appropriate at a time like this when we're seeking the Lord. And hopefully more so after we take a look at this psalm, it will be a part of our daily lives. Father, we thank you for the time that we have here this morning, for the fellowship, for the gifts that have already been demonstrated this morning, for your glory, for your honor. Thank you for the songs of praise that we have had the, the joy of participating in and pray that they have brought honor to your name, have exalted the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, no matter what we do here, do here today, no matter what we say or what songs we sing, may it all be about you. May it bring us closer to you and maybe there be one in our midst this morning that doesn't have a personal relationship with you. And I pray that they will be drawn unto yourself to share in the hope that we have in Christ today. Thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In our psalm today, David is on the run. His son Absalom had a, has led a rebellion against him. David is driven into the wilderness. But what we find should stand as a model for all of us when life takes us into the wilderness. You see, the wilderness can be any of life's difficult times, from doubt and fear and sadness to loss of a loved one, broken marriage, rebellious child, loss of a job, and on and on and on. You can name your own wilderness experience today. Is there, it's, it's there, I should say, it's, it's, it's there that we can actually experience more of the love of God than we thought possible. And I think that's what Brother Randy was sharing this morning. It's there in that wilderness experience when we're overwhelmed that we can learn so much from David's response to his dilemma today. David turns his full attention to the Lord. He expresses his longing for the Lord, his confidence in the Lord, and his praises to the Lord. My friends, the wilderness will either drive us away or compel us towards the living God for our hope, our rescue, our satisfaction. Would you stand with me, please, as we read from the 63rd Psalm? My soul thirsts for you would be the heading on uh, my particular text here this morning, not part of the scripture, but a great introduction to the text. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat, rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. 
when I remembered you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be portioned for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Father, we pray your blessing on the reading of your word this morning, that it is living, it is sharper than a double-edged sword. But Father, we pray that it will take root in our hearts and bear much fruit in our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray again. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. King David was a man who knew what it meant to live under pressure. As the king of Israel, he knew the pressures of leadership. The higher and more responsible the leadership position, the greater are the pressures. And David knew the pressure of having problems. Some were self-inflicted. Others were just circumstance. During his reign, his son Absalom led a rebellion against him. David and many of his loyal followers had to flee literally for their lives. During that time, David spent a short time in what would be the northeastern part of the wilderness of Judah. And I assure you, this is a desolate place. And it was just a brief time before he would cross over the Jordan. And it was in that barren land, fleeing for his life, fleeing from his, his only, not his only, but, but his own son, feeling disgraced and rejected, a totally uncertain future, he pins this psalm. He pins it. It is one of the most well-loved psalms throughout history. John Chrysostom, in, uh, well, lived in the uh, 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 early 4th or, or late 4th, early 5th century, wrote, and I quote, that it was decreed and ordained by the primitive church fathers that no day should pass without singing of this psalm. He observed that the spirit and soul of the whole book of Psalms is contracted into this one psalm. Now, you may not be in the wilderness now, and maybe you haven't even experienced the wilderness yet, but I would boldly proclaim that you are either in the wilderness, coming out of the wilderness, or sooner or later going into the wilderness. It will happen. It will happen in all of our lives at some point and time. Point number one for our consideration. How did David respond to this? David revealed a pure, passionate desire for God. Oh, God, listen to these words. These are not something you just say, oh, God, no, 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 no. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Jeremiah said, you will seek me, or the God told Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, priority and foundation of all that follows. We ought to just spend the rest of our time right here. Sometimes I, I get to this point and I question whether we even want to try to tackle the rest of the text or not. If we don't get this, we're not going to get it. 
seeking God with every fiber of our being, mind, soul, body, seeking after God. God, if I don't find you, if I don't get close to you, I am simply going to die right here. I'm just going to be a grease spot on the floor. Now, that, that, I think that's Greek. Grease spot. To seek after God means developing an intimate personal relationship with him. Oh God, you are my God. Does this sound familiar? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. To seek after God means to always desire more of him. Brothers and sisters, there is no complete satisfaction. And I want to be careful with how I say this. We live in the satisfied unsatisfaction. Does that make sense? We are, we're satisfied in Christ. Everything we need is brought to us in Christ. Our relationship with Christ is the fulfillment of all that we ever really need. Yet we are totally satisfied and never going to be satisfied. Just to know him better, to understand him more, to dive into him deeper is the life journey of any born-again believer. God, I know you, but my life pursuit is to know you better. It is a story is told about a young man who ran after Socrates one day. And he said, Socrates, Socrates, can I be your disciple? And Socrates ignored him and walked out into a body of water. The man followed him and repeated the question, Socrates, Socrates, can I be your disciple? Socrates turned and without a word, grabbed the young man, dunked him under the water, and held him down until he knew that he could no longer take it. The man came up, gasping for air. Socrates replied, Finally, when you desire the truth as much as you seek air, you can be my disciple. How much do we desire to know God? One of my favorite books of all time, and I say this, it, it really is one of my favorite books of all time, a book by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. The Pursuit of God. If you've never read that, throw away all that new stuff you're getting. There ain't nobody writing anything new. You know, they're just regurgitating what the old guys have already said and trying to make it more. I don't know what they're doing. Anyway, A.W. Tozer, good, good author. Come near to the holy men and women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they had found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the longer seeking. All it did, all it accomplished was created more desire, more desire, more desire. To seek God means to pursue him and him alone to fulfill that vacuum that's in our life. David had fled from the throne. He had left his possessions and his wives behind him. His own son, whom he loved, was attempting to kill him. And yet in all of this, David wasn't seeking for any of those things to fill the vacuum. He wasn't asking for those things back. He wasn't praying, oh God, give me back my wives. Give me back my palace. Give me back. Give me, give me back. God, I don't need all that stuff. I need you. I need you. I need you. You see, the fact is, it's easy to fill our lives with things other than God, isn't it? They may be good things. I'm not saying they're bad things. But they're temporal at best. And they're good at best. Only God gives the best. Only God gives the best because he gives himself. Himself. 
A person who seeks the Lord has an inner satisfaction. A person who seeks the Lord has inner joy. A person who seeks the Lord has stability and strength in a crisis. Seeking the Lord means putting him first at the center of our lives. Nothing is more important. He is the manna in the wilderness. He is the water, the rock from which it flows. He makes the bitter waters of Mara sweet. He is the living water that satisfies. Ask the woman at the well. She'll tell you. She'll tell you. Point number two. David expressed extreme delight in the Lord. So I have looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. That'd be a good song, Stan, Debbie. Yeah. My lips shall praise you. Yeah, that's a good one. My soul will be satisfied. There it is. There it is. My soul. Folks, when the Bible speaks of soul, that's our innermost being. That's the essence of who we are. And God says, that's what I want to satisfy right there. I want to go deep into you. I want to, I want to get to your soul, the essence of who you are. And I want there to be satisfaction at that point in your life. Then whatever happens out here, whatever happens around is not going to distract or deter you. Because you'll have peace in your soul soul. So David says, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remembered you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. That's day and night pursuit, folks. That's day and night pursuit. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. When you are in the wilderness, I want you to consider this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise him for your circumstances. He say, well, preacher, that's nuts. It is. It is. But it's also healing. Say, God, I don't know why I'm here. I don't necessarily like it here, but I'm going to praise you because I'm not here alone. You're here with me. And I will praise you. And I won't just praise you with rote repetition. I'm going to praise you with joyful lips. I'm going to praise you from the depth of my soul because that's where I'm satisfied. That's where I'm satisfied. When you're in the wilderness, praise the Lord. Praise him with joyful lips. Praise him with joyful hands. I looked upon you in the sanctuary. In other words, I looked up. I looked up. I didn't look at my situation. I didn't look at all the threats and troubles around me. I'm not focused on my problem. I will look up. I will look to you, oh my God. I will behold your power and your glory. Why? Because your steadfast love is all I need. There's the answer. It's better than life itself. Recap of these verses. Let's just read them. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Verse 6, when I remembered you upon my bed and meditate you in the watches of the night. Verse 7, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Psalm 70 and verse 4 says, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Amen. Point number three, David presented his distress to God. In verses 8 through 10, he says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. God, you know, I'm a little bit tired of these folks that don't like me, but pretty soon the jackals are going to eat them anyway. 
Everybody say amen. Amen. Praise God for the jackals, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to praise God for the jackals. What, what about them, them, uh, uh, them cleanup predators we see all around? Cliff Fisher, I know, really likes uh, what, what's those things, those turkey buzzards and vultures. He, he likes them, you know. Don't you, Cliff? Yeah. <laughs> Verse 8 calls my attention here to this one statement. My soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. See here again, folks, think about that. That's, that's us. That's me. That's you. The soul is you. This, this physical body, that's just, that's going to be leftover stuff, right? We're going to leave this behind someday. It's just going to go back into the earth. But my soul, the essence of who I am, is my eternal being. My eternal being. And, and David says, that's the part of me that clings to you. Wow. Now, you've heard the statement, soul brother. That's it. That's it. And your right hand, your right hand holds me. So not only am I stuck to you, but I'm in your grip. Your right hand upholds me. How safe is that? How safe is that? The right hand is always the place of ultimate strength in Scripture. This is where Jesus is seated, at the right hand of God in glory. Romans 8 says that when, uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against us? Is it God who justifies? Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us right now. The hand of God, the right hand upholds me. How big is the hand of God? Does anybody ever go off on these wandering journeys besides me? Now, uh, there's a big old fancy word for this. It's called anthropomorphism, and it simply means this, uh, ascribing physical characteristics to a spiritual God. So we know that God literally doesn't have a right hand, but yet in understanding his power, might, and ability, he is described that way so we can connect to it. So, okay, if he did literally have a right hand, I've done a little research. I've done a little research. Now, this is important. You'll want to take this to the grave with you. How big is the right hand of God? Isaiah tells us that God measured the heaven with a span. That's a span. So he measured the heavens. That's how big God's hand is, huh? Isn't that good, Debbie? He measured it with a span, okay? The span is the distance between your thumb and the little finger. Scientists used to say that the universe was 12 billion light years in radius. Now they say it's at least 15 billion light years. God's hand was bigger than they thought. That is 90,000 billion miles, and that's just his hand. Amen? 
No wonder David felt comfortable. No wonder he felt secure. He was in the hand of God. Now, I want you to hold on to that imagery because sometimes we reduce God into our own image. That way we can manage him better. Well, listen, our God is not managed by any man. And he's big. He's big. Just think if he held you in both of his hands. Huh? But Jesus describes this in, in, in saying, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand, the hand of God. The hand of God. Now, brothers and sisters, for just a moment, I want you to consider this as enormous and beyond our comprehension is the size of the hand of God. They both bore the nails that hung him on the cross. It was that all-powerful, all-creative, all-sustaining hand of God that bore the nails for our sins. We need to consider that for a moment, don't we? Not only does God have our situation, God has us. He has us. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There it is again in Isaiah 41. Point number four, David was confident in his deliverance by God. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Desire, delight, distress, and deliverance. Psalm 28, blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. There we are, singing again. Singing again. As we have walked through this psalm together, have you noticed how words of praise permeate the text? David wrote, my lips will praise you. He then exclaimed, I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. He declared, my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. He sang for joy as he pictured himself protected by the wings of the Almighty. In his final proclamation, David brought fullest expression to his praise when he announced the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. Boy, it's just like a crescendo building up to the climactic end. How can we have such confidence? We believe and serve a Savior who knows what it is like to be in the wilderness. He was there when Satan tried to rob him of his glory and distract him from the cross. The devil lost. Our Savior was there at the Last Supper when he announced his betrayer, yet they left singing hymns of praise. A wilderness moment. Our Savior was in the wilderness when he was abandoned at his trial and denied by Peter. An all-alone moment. Our Savior was in the wilderness for a moment in all eternity on an old rugged cross when he cried, My God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, our Savior knows what it's like when life takes you into the wilderness. You know, we like the mountaintop experiences. And I read this somewhere, don't remember when, where. We like the mountaintop experiences, but life, much like that mountain, the height is measured by the depth of the valley. The height of the mountain is measured by the depth of the valley. Are you there now? Are you just coming out? Be in prayer. Because if you're not just coming out or you're not there now, you're headed for one. Sooner or later. Sooner or later. And I'm not the prophet of gloom and doom. I'm just a realist when it comes to living. There's going to be wilderness experiences. And we need to decide right now how we're going to deal with that. You know, I've always said, well, you know, crisis, uh, crisis, uh, uh, develops character. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Crisis reveals character. It reveals character. Crisis shows us what we're made of. Is God satisfying your soul this morning? Is Jesus Christ your soul satisfier? If so, you're going to be okay in the wilderness. You're going to be okay. Never give up hope. Never give up on God. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had here this morning. We thank you for the word. Even through my fumbles and stumbles, Father, I pray that the gospel has been heard. Not by my power, might, nor wisdom, but by your power, by your wisdom, and for your glory. So, Father, there may be some people in our assembly this morning that are going through very difficult times. I pray that they know it's okay. It's okay to cry out to you for help. It's okay to give you the praise of their joyful lips. It's okay to fall before you and worship because of your faithfulness to them. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for prayers. It's okay to come to the altars and pray and watch you move in mighty ways. So, Father, whatever you want to accomplish for your honor and your glory, may it be done, and may Jesus Christ be exalted. For we pray all the time.